Okay, nice to see you tonight. We're going to be in Malachi 3, if you'd open your Bibles there, please. We're going to be looking at verses 13 to 18 tonight, which say this, Your words have been arrogant against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You've said it is vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge, and that we've walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the arrogant blessed. Not only are the doers of wickedness build up, but they also test God and escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I prepare my own possession, And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your people that are out to partake of it. What a wonderful privilege it has been to go through this book of Malachi. And we pray that as we examine these verses tonight, you'll speak to us, Lord, through them. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So far, as we have been going through this book of Malachi, we have counted at least 28 things in the book that God's people were doing and not doing that angered God. In fact, of the 28 things, these are things that ultimately brought God to stop speaking to his people for the next 450 years. And when you look at the list, we've gone through even to this point, you say, well, no wonder. Well, when you come to this text tonight, there's more to be added to the list. There's a saying that people used to use that said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That saying's wrong. Words can and do hurt others, and they can hurt you. Words that are wrong about God, words spoken that are wrong about God, not only hurt the Lord, they anger him, and when that happens, we do hurt ourselves. If the words that God's people speak end up angering God, it is going to hurt them. What most people do not realize is when they shoot off their mouths, God is listening. God does not think lightly nor take lightly of things that people say, especially when they're saying things about him. It was Jesus who said that one of the things that will be used at judgment against people will be their words. In fact, what he said is, I tell you every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it. The day of judgment, for by your words you will be justified, by your words you will be condemned. Now Israel has a history of saying rotten things about God. And she certainly has a history of saying blasphemous things about Jesus Christ, who is the God, Savior, Messiah, King. And when Jesus Christ was here, Israel called him a drunk. Israel called him an adulterer. She called him someone who hangs out with sinners. In fact, they even called him demonic and satanic. I mean, the people were shooting off their mouths against the Lord when he was here. Now, God had told these people in Malachi in the first chapter, I have loved you. I have loved you. And the proof that I have loved you is that I chose you. But apparently, people think, well, we can still say things and God doesn't really hear or care what we say. Well, this text shows us that God does here, and God does care what his people say. In fact, what they said is part of the reason he goes silent for the next 450 years. 
What we see when we look at this text tonight is God reveals that his people had spoken arrogant words against God, and because of that, she's not experiencing the blessings of God at the present time, and I believe including the present time. Now next week we'll get into chapter 4, which has a lot to do with the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe Israel is ever going to again experience the blessings of God until that moment. I mean, this is how serious it was when they were shooting off their mouths back in this time. Now, verse 13 makes the statement, Your words have been arrogant against me, God says, says the Lord. But then notice how the people respond to verse 13, Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? They would say, well, what did we say? What did we say that was so wrong? What did we say about God that was so bad? And again, that teaches us an important lesson here. It's possible to get so used to what we're doing and saying that isn't right that we're no longer even convicted about it. Don't let that happen. Don't let your conscience ever become hardened. Stay close to the scriptures, yielding to the Spirit of God, because what we see here is these people, they're saying things, crazy things. I mean, as we're going to see tonight, they're saying things that are just ludicrous, and then they're saying, well, what have we said that's been so bad? That is a dangerous position to be in when you no longer are convicted about what you're doing when it's wrong. And that's exactly the position these people were in. So there are two parts to this that we want to observe. First of all, the arrogant words that God's people were speaking against God, verses 14 and 15. These people had no problem shooting off their mouths, saying things about God, passing judgment on God, and it goes on today. There are people, and I'm talking about people who profess to be Christians. Well, it doesn't really mean God created things in six days. Now, we'll come up with our theories on that. And it doesn't really mean that man was created by God. I mean, he could have evolved. And just because God says he made it in his word, we don't really have to take it that way. Men are still coming up with stuff. They're still making stuff and making it up. These are religious people. There are people going to churches who actually do think there's nothing wrong with killing a baby and abortion. They actually believe that. And they're going to church and they're saying, well, now, we don't care if there's a gender change. It's no big deal in the sight of God. People are still today saying things that aren't true when it comes to the word of God. Now, these people could not see or sense the truth about themselves and what they had been saying. So God says, you want to know what you've been saying? All right, I'll tell you. You wonder if you've been saying some wrong things about me? You've been using your mouth? Against me? All right, I'll point it out. I'll point your arrogance out. I'll bring out the words you've been saying. You'll take an honest look at yourself and what I'm about to tell you. And there were six arrogant statements they were making about God that God said, that's against me. And as we go down through these statements tonight, I'm going to challenge every one of us, look very carefully at yourself. Very, very carefully at yourself. Because none of us wants to be in a situation where God says, you know, you basically are saying the same thing. Now, the first arrogant statement they were making is they were saying it's vain to serve God. That's what he says in verse 14. You've said it's vain to serve God. That word vain, shah in Hebrew, is a particular word that would indicate they were saying it's empty. It's worth nothing. It's just totally as it were, useless. It's a useless, empty waste of time to serve God. 
These were people of God who believed, you know, since we're worshiping God, and since we're serving God, I mean, we're going to worship, and that's our service for the Lord, and we're going to the temple, and we're going to worship services, we should be receiving immediate remuneration. They were going to worship services, and they're taking some of the offerings. We've already gone through that whole mess of their offerings. And they felt, because we're doing that, God should be rewarding us. And since God was not immediately rewarding them with the millennial blessings that they thought they should have, their conclusion was, well, serving God is just a useless, empty waste of time. They were actually telling people there's no point, there's no purpose of serving God. It's an effort in futility. And it's a strong word, Shaw. It means that these people were thinking it's just totally a useless point to serve God. Now they're going to worship services, they're talking like this. They're going to worship services and they're taking their offerings, the part of the offerings they're taking. I mean, they're going through their religious motions here, but they didn't see any value in it. And they're actually telling other people what we're doing here isn't really worth much. And they're not only thinking this, but apparently they're saying this to others. Now in the great faith chapter of the New Testament, which is Hebrews 11, there is a listing there of people who faithfully serve the Lord in a variety of contexts, in a variety of situations. And there's a statement that's made in Hebrews 11.6 that says this, And without faith... It is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And so the idea is God ultimately rewards those who are continually seeking him. And it's not just a deal, why go to worship, now what do I get? The key to faith that pleases the Lord is it keeps serving the Lord. It keeps believing in God. It believes in God one day going to reward those that are faithful to him. And these people are saying it's vain to serve God. So God says, there's number one. There's one of your arrogant statements that you've made against me. Arrogant statement number two, you've been telling people there's no profit in obeying my word. That's what he says in verse 14. And what profit is it that we've kept his charge? God's people were strictly looking at serving God and obeying God's word as a bottom line profit issue. Now keep in mind, God had said, test me, and we saw that last time, and see if I don't cause your agricultural fruit and crops to grow. It would take at least a year for that to happen. I mean, if you're taking these partial offerings to the temple, and you're taking these offerings of the temple, and here's Malachi, and Malachi is challenging you. You need to give God what he needs to have, what's right to give him. And if the people were to do that, it would take the next season of harvesting that would be a year away before they would see that, and apparently that wasn't good enough. These people were going to the temple. They'd been taking a few offerings, and they were basically saying, you know, we don't see the profit in this. And their motive for going to the temple And going through these motions was not because they had a heart that was right with the Lord. They were going through the motions because they wanted to make something out of it. They wanted profit from it. And they weren't seeing the immediate gain that they expected to see from serving God. And that's probably why they're offering God animals they don't want. I mean, they're offering God animals that are lame and injured because they can't make a good profit off those kinds of animals. But we must be careful of not falling into that same trap of 
just obeying God's word simply for profit. I mean, that's an easy trap into which any of us are capable of falling. The mindset is, we'll do this if we see immediate results, does become a motive for many people. I mean, the motive should be we do this because it pleases the Lord. We do this because we love the Lord. The Lord loves us. We love him. But it's so easy when you're serving as a Sunday school teacher or as a member of a committee or even as a minister, it's so easy to fall into this trap of saying, well, if I'm not seeing the results as quick as I think I should be seeing, then, then there's no profit in doing this. And we're living in a time when many churches are saying there's no profit to carefully preaching and teaching the word of God at church. It doesn't interest most people. It doesn't entertain most people. It doesn't draw in the big crowds of most people. And it doesn't bring them to the facility. And so where's the profit in preaching and teaching the word of God? Let's get rid of the pulpit. Let's get rid of careful teaching and reverent worship because it doesn't seem to be profitable. That stuff angers God. And I honestly think this idea, what's in it for me? is something that often dominates people looking for a church. And they look for the wrong thing. Many people go out and look for a church and they say, well, what's in it for me? What's in it for my family? They don't go to the church and say, does this church reverence the Lord? Does this church very carefully teach the word of God and feed the flock? Does this church give itself to that? Does this church give itself to reverent worship? Does it teach doctrine? Do these people going to this church develop a reverence for the Lord and seek to know God and seek to know the word of God? Unfortunately, we're not far removed from this idea when people look for a church. Well, what's in it for us? God said, that angers me. That's arrogance. The third statement they were making is the people were saying, we're not happy obeying God, we're mourning people. That's what he says in verse 14. We've walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts. Now you see, to please the Lord, you can't strut around like a proud peacock, because that'll never please the Lord. Pride goes before destruction, and God takes a real interest in the humble of heart. But these people were continually saying, you know... We've been serving the Lord, and it's just nothing but a sad, sad life. We've been serving the Lord, and we've been living humble lives, and it's just basically awful. We have no joy. We have no happiness. We live a life of mourning. Our circumstances are lousy. And then we look over at the godless people, and they're happy. And they seem to be getting along just fine. That kind of thinking and that kind of talk actually angers the Lord. It angers him. We're admonished in many passages to be joyful people. Joyful people. And may I remind us that when Paul challenged the people in Philippians to rejoice always, he's writing in the Roman world, and he's writing himself when he didn't know if he's going to live or die in jail. And he says, we're supposed to have joy. We're not supposed to be a bunch of mourners or whiners. We're supposed to be people who reflect joy in the Lord. I mean, Christ said, I did come to give you not only life, but an abundant life. And we're supposed to be people who manifest an abundant life. And when we're just walking around in a state of mourning, we're not pleasing the Lord. Now, I don't say we should be walking around with a big smile, goofy smile on our face all the time. 
In fact, I think that's just the opposite extreme. I think many people want a happy, clappy life in church. And if they don't get that, then they start running off their mouths. And that's kind of what these people were doing. They were looking for some happy, clappy, light life. And they're going, well, it's not turning out that way. And so they're talking against God. God said, that's an arrogant statement. And that angers me. The fourth arrogant statement they made is they were saying the arrogant people are blessed. Verse 15. So now... We call the arrogant blessed. Now, God is going to address what's going to happen to arrogant people next time in chapter 4. But before he does that, he says to his own people, you're shooting off your mouths and you're saying words that I'm keeping record of here. And these arrogant words are against me. The people were getting together. Now, remember, they're getting together at the temple. They're at the religious services here. And the people are saying, we're going to these services and we're participating in these rituals. And the arrogant people who don't seem to be interested in this at all, and they don't seem to be going to these worship services at all, they seem to be better off and more blessed than we are, and we're the ones who go. We look at them and they have the great life. They have the better homes, and they have the bigger paychecks, and they go on better vacations, and they have a happy life. And here we are, the people of God, and we're just, there's nothing about our life that's glorious or glamorous. And the arrogant people reject the word of God. They reject the authority of God in every way, and they seem to be doing just fine. God hates that when he hears his people talking like that. And believe you me, he listens into conversations when he hears his people talking like that. When God's people envy godless people, when God's people envy arrogant people, they've really reached a low point in their own spirituality. One of the great psalms that just graphically describes this kind of thing is Psalm 73. You can read that sometime. It's the psalm of Asaph. And in Psalm chapter 73, Asaph was struggling with this very thing. He said, I was envious of the arrogant people. He said, here I was serving the Lord at the temple. Music. I was serving the Lord at the temple, and I look at the arrogant people. I look at the godless people. They're prospering. They're living in luxury. They don't even be troubled by bills. They even seem to die in luxury. I mean, they're not surrounded by just eking out an existence. They mock God. They question God. They seem to increase in everything they do. And he said, I was thinking like that, and it almost got me until... He said, I went to the sanctuary and I heard the word of God. And then he said, I came to realize, hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. My thinking's out of whack here. I'm the one blessed of God. I'm the one that has God in my life. I'm the one who has God with me walking day by day with my life and then ultimately will let me go live with him forever. And he said, I was thinking like a fool. Be very careful that we don't fall into the trap in this world in which we live because it's an easy trap to fall into. Many of God's people watch the news and say these kinds of things with their own mouths. Be very careful here. Those arrogant, godless, immoral people, they're getting away with it and they are the winners, and we who are God's people, we're the losers. Wait a minute, do you think God likes that talk? 
Do you think for one second God is listening to that kind of talk coming from his people as they're watching the news and they're talking about how great those other people have it and how lousy they have it? Do you think that pleases the Lord? God says, no, no. That's arrogant talk. And that does not please me. And basically, he's saying to this group of people, I won't bless you for that. The fifth arrogant statement is God's people were saying the wicked are built up. He says, notice carefully, and the doers of wickedness build up. They were saying, you know, people who are out there practicing wicked things, they're the ones that are being built up and prospering. God, you really let us down. Those people are the ones prospering, and God's people were suggesting, you know, it's almost better to be a godless heathen than a child of God. And the implication, now remember, these people are at their places of worship. They're talking like this. Wherever they were talking like this, whether it was in their home or at the place of worship, God said, I'm listening to this. Because they wanted to know, well, what have we said that's against you? God said, I'm naming it. I'm pointing it out to you. This is what you've done. You've been talking about the fact that the wicked people are better off than you are. You think you make me happy when you talk like that? That the wicked people are better off than you are? And the implication of that kind of talk is, well, you know, God, if I were in charge, I could do a better job than you do. Well, you talk about arrogance. That's the thinking there. I mean, God, you're blessing the wrong people. You must have your wires crossed. I mean, you apparently don't reach the level of sophistication and understanding that I have. God said, that is arrogance. And his sixth statement is, God's people were saying the wicked put God to the test and they escape. That's what he says in verse 15, and they also test God and they escape. They're saying it's the wicked people who get away with stuff. And it does not please God when... God's people are constantly shooting off their mouths, insinuating that it's better to be godless. Boy, don't let that come from your lips. If it's come from your lips, deal with it and don't do it again. Because that is not something that pleases the Lord. These people were no longer motivated to live lives that love the Lord and please the Lord. And now they're looking at the world and saying, well, you know, God doesn't chastise them. He doesn't chastise them. They're getting away with everything. Why does God permit this? Why does God allow that to happen? Listen, we need to get to the place where on some of these things we say, I don't know, and shut our mouth. That's the wisest thing to do. I'm not God. I don't know. I'm shutting my mouth and I'm trusting the Lord. That's not what these people are doing. They're shooting off their mouths. So God says, there you go. You want to know what you've been doing that is arrogant? There you go. I've laid it out for you. There it is. And then we come to the second part where he says, and one other thing you need to know is I keep eternal records. That's what he does in verses 16 to 18. God says, I want you to know this. I have a file, and I have every person on file, and I keep eternal records of what is going on. I keep eternal records of my people. I keep eternal records of what they're doing, what they're not doing, what they're saying, what they're not saying. I have these records. And God looks for people who love him, who fear him, who defend him, who speak up for him, who serve him. He keeps records of people who do that. 
And these people have names, and their names are remembered forever. Now, I want you to notice how verse 16 begins. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. There was apparently a nucleus of people that had been listening to this entire book of Malachi. The entire instruction that had been coming from the book. And they certainly, when he got to this part where he starts hammering home what they'd been saying with their mouth, all of a sudden, for some people, the bulbs went on. And there was apparently, and that's why I suspect this took place at the temple, because it said, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, because there was a nucleus of those people who feared the Lord, and they spoke to one another. It could be that they said, you know what? We've been wrong. We've been wrong. Malachi's right. All those things he's listed in this book that he's just leveled against us, they're dead on. We've been wrong and he's right and we're admitting that. And Malachi says here, the one who fears the Lord and the one who esteems the name of the Lord has some wonderful, wonderful benefits in store for them. And there are four of them that he brings out. First of all, you'll have your name written in the book of remembrance. That's what he says in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord gave attention and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. There were a few people who feared the Lord, and they prompted others to fear the Lord. They got together. They had this, as it were, symmetry to them in the sense that they were all serious about God and his word, and they feared the Lord, and they were responding to the word of God, and their names are written in this book of remembrance. Now, as we have pointed out in going through the scriptures There are record books that God keeps, and it's an intimidating thing. I mean, I honestly believe, even in the Bema Seat Judgment, there is going to be our own personal record book that God kept on each and every one of us. I think the Bema Seat Judgment, it could be that it'll be like he'll just call up the life and march through. I think that is going to be. But as near as I can determine, I am now concluding there are about six different types of record books that are mentioned in the Bible that I think are there in heaven. First of all, there's that book of life or Lamb's book of life that contains the names of all who believed in Jesus Christ. That book is mentioned many, many times in the scriptures. We've cited the references for you there in your notes. We would suspect that the book of life contains the legal justification moment for the individual because that's the moment that a person gets in that book of life when God has made this judicial declaration that they are righteous and imputes to them the righteousness of his son. So probably the moment that that happens is when that person actually shows up in there, although that was from before the foundation of the world, so it was known the person was in the book even before the moment of justification. But you have that book of life. Then there is the book of condemnatory works, and that would be for all those who have not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and they're not right with God. That shows up in Daniel, Revelation, and I think Romans alludes to it when it says that people are storing up wrath. If someone gets before the Lord and claims they haven't sinned, God says, well, let's call up the works books of your life. 
And those works books contain every moment that a person has failed and missed the mark of the righteousness of God. We'll see those books show up in living color later in the book of Revelation, and they'll be condemned to hell based on the works books. God will show them their works, and they're going to hell. Then there is the book of rejection of life for those who specifically rejected the way of life. Jeremiah refers to that. I'm not sure of all of the ramifications of that. But this book specifically has to do with a person who specifically knew the truth and specifically knew the truth of salvation and specifically forsook it and turned away from it after knowing the truth. That one goes in this book of rejection of life because they rejected it. Then we have what's called here the book of remembrance for all believers who feared the Lord and were faithful to speak for the Lord. And they prompted others to do the same. I mean, this is a person who took the word of God seriously and they prompted other people to do the same. This book shows up here. You might also write down Psalm 56, 8. There's a reference there to a book that perhaps is this book of remembrance where God says, I literally track all the wanderings of my people and they're written in a book. And that could be this book of remembrance. Then you have a fifth book. It's the book I would call of church membership. There does seem to be an allusion to a list of records of some sort in connection to the church. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 23, that shows up. And certainly we know that in Hebrews 13, the text does tell us that There will be some type of local church ramifications and church leaders giving an account of what was going on in the life of the church, and I think that's there. And then finally, there is what I would call the reward and loss of reward book for believers. Every believer would appear before the Bema Seat judgment of Jesus Christ and will be determined whether they will receive rewards and loss of rewards based on what a believer did. Now, what Malachi is telling the people here is, You remnant who feared the Lord, you remnant who made changes in life, you remnant who took the word of God seriously, your name is in this book of remembrance. Your name is written down there. Your names are written down as faithful people of God. Now, some have said they don't know if this is literal as far as these books. I think it is. Why use the noun books if it isn't literal? I think these books are literal. And people who feared the Lord and people who obeyed the word of God will be in this book. The second reality or benefit from those who feared the Lord and who obeyed the Lord is they'll belong to God. Verse 17, they will be mine, says the Lord, on the day that I prepare my own possession. They will be mine. And I love the words that he uses there, they'll be my own possession. It's segula in Hebrew, and that particular word segula speaks of something that is a valued treasure. And God says, you know, you're sweating about what's going on in the world. You need to understand this. You feared me. You took my word seriously. You'll be seen one day as my valuable treasure. You'll be seen as my possession. One day, you'll be honored, and people will see you in an honorable way. They will see you as belonging to me. The third benefit is you'll be spared. Verse 17 says, I will spare them as a man spares his own sons who serves him. Now, I think that has a couple of things to do contextually pertaining to wrath judgment types of things. For those who believed in the Lord in the church age, it means rapture. You're not going into the time of tribulation. 
But for those Jews, and that would be the immediate context of this, for those in Israel that are in the tribulation, it means that those who feared the Lord and those who gave attention to the word of God are going to escape Satan and the Antichrist. And that certainly coincides with what we're seeing as we go through the book of Revelation. And then finally, they will have distinguishing judgment ability. Distinguishing judgment ability. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. One of the things that people who do not fear the Lord lose is their ability or their capacity to judge right from wrong. One of the things that people do that are not in the word and they're not serious about applying the word is that they lose their sense of justice. They lose their sense of being able to judge what's right. God says, there'll come a day and I'll change all of that. And we know in Zechariah chapter 3 that Zechariah says that those who fear the Lord and obey the Lord will have great government responsibilities in the kingdom and also great access to the king when he reigns. So it wouldn't surprise me if part of the reward for fearing the Lord and esteeming the Lord and obeying the word of God rather than walking as most of the people were that were going to worship. If you're in that remnant that does that, you'll have this great distinguishment and judgment ability, and there will be a great distinguishment between one righteous and one wicked, and there'll be a great distinguishment between one who serves God and one who doesn't serve God. And see, that gets all fuzzy. Because people get goofy about who's serving the Lord, and some of the people aren't even serving God. They can't even see it. And they're thinking, well, that's real service to the Lord. No, it isn't service to the Lord. And some people lose their sense of what's right and wrong, what's righteous and wicked. And God is saying here that when my son comes back to establish his kingdom, those people who feared me, they're going to share in this kingdom and they're going to have great judgment responsibilities and they'll be able to see it and judge it clearly. Now, one thing is certainly clear from these verses we've gone through here tonight, and that is judgment does precede the kingdom. And what we do see is one day God's going to clean up and clear up everything in this earth, and those who honored him, he's going to honor. I want to leave us with two thoughts tonight from this particular study. Number one, obeying God is always valuable. Obeying God is always valuable and will always bring his blessings. Now, they may not come overnight, but the people who purpose to obey the Lord will always be blessed of God. Obeying God is always valuable, will always bring his blessing. Secondly, serving God is always profitable and will always reap rewards. Serving God is always profitable and will always reap rewards. So no matter what the vast majority of people are saying, you stick to that. Don't listen to them. And certainly one thing that comes out of this passage is be very careful what you're saying because God listens in. That's the text in Malachi tonight. Well, I want to thank you for coming. Drive careful. Good night. The Lord bless you.